But for me, I like to make it painful. I like just tears of pleasure weeping out of my partner. <laughs> Welcome to Sweet Release. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. So happy to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. You are, your specialty is in cosmic sexuality, transformational BDSM, and and yeah, we're going to be talking about all of that today. Yeah, Tantra, Conscious Tantra, pink. yes, yeah. exactly. I wanted to start with kind of, well, really your journey, if you want to start from the beginning and kind of how you found, you don't have to go all the way back, (laughs) but kind of how you found your spiritual awakening via sex, of course. Yeah, definitely. Well, funny enough, my spiritual awakening didn't really happen with sex, but it happened um, through tragedy, actually. Mm -hmm. So when I was 16, I was... uh, really good athlete in football. I was already getting offered scholarships and everything. And, uh, I had a major knee surgery and I was on the hospital bed and it was day two or three in recovery. And I was really having an identity crisis. So I was on the bed. I could smell the cut grass knowing it's the summer and it was a track injury. And my whole identity was really caught up with that football and that whole world. And I was on the bed and I was wondering, who am I if I can't play football? And the voice in my head said, do you really want to see? Do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, show me. And then on the bed, I'm on morphine, you know, so it's like I'm I'm feeling myself differently. I'm all alone. I don't have any, you know, roommates or anything. I'm in a a room alone. I, I couldn't see anything. It was like, who are you if you can't see? And then I couldn't see. Who are you if you can't hear? I just went deaf. I only heard my internal dialogue. Who are you if you can't taste? Who are you if your parents are dead? Who are you if all of your friends died? Who are you if your city? So it was just, and I started just bawling, just crying, just really deep, just feeling all of my identity just torn away from the inside out. And more and more, everything that I was connected to, okay, I'm a man. No, you lost your genitals. Like your, your, your city was destroyed in a, a nuclear blast, like everything. And I was feeling it vivid, vividly. And then I got to a point where I couldn't remove a part of me, what I would consider the spark of life, that divine spark of life, whatever you want to call. And at the end of that entire process, I said, that's who you are. And you get to choose who you want to be on top of this. Everything else was an identity that you were born into, but from here you can build. So who do you want to be? So it was a very liberating experience. And I was 16 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going into the summer, this was after track season. So I'm going into the summer and, um, you know, I started thinking about that and that was on my way out is like, I read comic books. I was a nerd. So I was like, well, I like Spider-Man cause he's very virtuous and he helps others and Captain America, like courageous. So there's a lot of different characteristics that I was able to just put together on myself instead of what has kind of been forced on me. I got to actually choose. And I started really learning about conscious choice of your own identity. It's like you're given certain gifts, but then you get to choose which ones you want to actually put on. And that summer coming out of that, I read two books that really started my sexual journey in education. And that was the power of the subconscious mind and the one hour orgasm. So that was my foundation that led me deeper. And before that, I always knew that healing the man woman relationship was something that I was sent here to do. And that came from observing my mom and dad. But this was a voice when I was 12 years old. I would see them. I would see how they were. I would see, you know, cartoons, movies and everything else. And I didn't really see any relationships that I really wanted to emulate. I was like, wow, there's just something missing. You know, it's just not not quite as sweet or it just doesn't feel like I know it can as just being in a human body. And I asked, all right, so I hear these stories about Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad and Um, you know, gods and goddesses, Zeus, Hera, Athena, these perfect, near perfect beings. Why don't I hear about the perfect relationship? And that, uh, once again, a voice in my head said, that's why you're here. You're here to help that process and help people learn the perfection that is unity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's been my past. So after 16, the power of the subconscious mind, one hour orgasm. After that, ancient Egyptian mystery schools, you know, sex magic, and just continued my study for decades. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. But yeah, I actually haven't heard of some of those books, The One Hour Orgasm. The One Hour Orgasm. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I believe this was Montauk Chia. I have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure Montauk Chia were based on a lot of his teachings. And if you want to learn about Tantra and sexual energy, Montauk Chia has a lot in that space. But that is basically understanding how to build up sexual energy mm-hmm. and be able to ride that over long periods of time. So for long sexual energy, and it's not necessarily destination-based as often as it is for the masculine, but being able to access a realm of multi-orgasmic uh, pleasure. Another great book is The Multi-Orgasmic Man, Multi-Orgasmic Woman, Multi-Orgasmic mm-hmm. Couple. Yeah, um, how have you like used some of these teachings in your own relationships and so it's been a lifelong practice because there there are books luckily there are some books on it but books are great but how about volunteers (laughs) (laughs) right so you can you can have all the concept in the world but until you actually meet someone who's willing to participate on that transformative journey to be able to explore consciously to be able to get messy be able to be playful, to have good days, bad days, and everything in between, and consciously go about it, you don't really have much. You have a concept, mm-hmm. you know? So that really began my, my journey is, you know, finding a partner or partners that would be able to consciously explore that, which is much harder than the studies. It's, it's so much harder. And a lot of things that they don't talk about in a lot of different courses and classes is that man-woman relating to understand how to create those connections that will allow for that energy to form Mm. because the masculine has certain needs. The feminine has certain needs and we often aren't aware of how to meet those needs to create an environment to raise the energy. So you've kind of learned these tools of, I mean, I talk a lot about mindfulness and awareness. Mm -hmm. So you feel like you're just kind of more tapped into that spiritual connection in relationships. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, I would say that is a component of it. It's conscious is the biggest Mm -hmm. thing. It's being very conscious, very intentional, very deliberate, and very aware. Having your awareness, being able to feel into your partner through all of your senses, as well as your mind, right? To be able to intentionally connect for the intention of connection and a deeper understanding. A lot of times people have preconceived notions or they have a story going on in their head that they're looking to reconfirm more so than actually feel, listen, or have their concepts invalidated by what someone else is experiencing. Mm -hmm. So we already have this set of ideas that are in our head and we're constantly looking for, which is known as cognitive bias. We're constantly dealing with that. And when you have an intention to connect and really be intimate, you start lowering that and you just start listening. You just start listening, start listening to the emotional patterns that your person is feeling. You start listening to uh, their nervous system. Just where is it at? Where's their breathing at? Where's their mind at? You can feel them when they're Attention just shifts ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. You can feel all that. And in studies and being in relationships and having partners to be able to get into the space, and this also leads into the world of BDSM, is being able to be in the dominant submissive role and play, play these different roles. You get to play out different things and you can see where minds might go and, and play different games so you can feel more of these subtle shifts where if you're in just traditional relationships, you might miss them, right? Mm-hmm. You might, might miss them. So it's, it's, a, it's a craft. Yeah, <laughs> it's a craft. Sure. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, before we get into BDSM, I know we were kind of touching on it, you know, Tantra, yes. the, the consciousness, but could you kind of explain what that also means to you? Definitely. So Tantra is the weaving of love energy into everything you do and the weaving of consciousness. So a lot of people think of Tantra as eight hour sex sessions because like Sting made it really uh, big here in the West, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, you can have sex for hours and hours and hours. But 
from a space of deeper understanding and consciousness, it's more about weaving the energy of love and presence into everything that you do. So this can be a tantra conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Because our consciousness, our love, our intention is weaved into it. It's not just from a place of reaction. It's not pre-programmed, but it's actually present and connected. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of all connected. It's this conscious awareness. and, And that's how I feel like, you know, my, I never really use the word Tantra, but my, my channel and my vibe is always talking about just having that mindfulness and that mm-hmm. intentionality. And so I really, I really love talking about that because I feel like so many people don't tap into that energy yeah. and it's so crucial and makes just your connections more powerful and more Absolutely. intimate. And all of life is enhanced by being able to weave in your intentions, your presence and your love. Mm-hmm. People often misperceive the intentionality and the impact of their energy in a situation. So they're a bit careless with it. It's almost like adolescence. You know, you're a kid, you don't really understand. You're just kind of moving through the world and you're just showing up. Mm-hmm. But for those of us who lead, we understand how it shows up when you walk into a room. And one of the questions I love to ask people is, what is it like to be in your presence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Right. So when you sit with that, when you enter a room, do the people feel happy? Are they, they feel more comforted? Do they feel loved? Do they feel supported? Do they feel like you're a team player? Or do you come in and they feel like you're going to dominate them? That you do come in with an air of superiority. Do you come in? Some people might want to have all that. Some people might just put that on as bravado. Some people might want to feel more connected. So it really determines, once again, what did you build on top of your spirit? Right? You were given certain gifts. What did you build on top of that? And what do you bring to the world? How does, how does your light show up? How does your frequency, how does your emotional state and everything else affect everyone around you? Yeah, I love that. We should be asking ourselves that every day. Yeah, right? I, I like it. I have to ask myself, you know, if I show up, did I help everyone just by being there? Did it feel good? Mm-hmm. Did someone feel safe? If someone's feeling unsafe, was it something that I was doing? Or is it just something in their world and they just see the world as a dangerous place? But even in that, is there something that I can do to shift that to make it just feel a little bit more beautiful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned spirit. Do you, do you feel, I feel that there's this divine connection between sex and spirit. I know cosmic sexuality, maybe that was, is kind of what that is, is, is it? Yeah. So you, absolutely. So everything that is in the physical was once Mm non-physical, right? If you think about that, that's the way to think about it as um, before a soul enters biology, it's in the spiritual realm or in what would be considered the cosmic or the energetic realm, right? And cosmic sexuality is consciously connecting the energies with your partner, the masculine, the feminine, to actually ascend back to be able to reach those higher states of being or the non-physical, to be able to unify in the non-physical as well as the physical. Right. It's like transcending to that Mm -hmm. that non-physical state. How, how does that feel when that happens? Could you explain it? <laughs> let's, let's put the non-physical into words, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll do my best here. So, you know, one of my first experiences was uh, March 28th, 1998. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and at that time I was still a virgin. But with my high school sweetheart and lover at the time, was able to just build up Uh, frequency of gratitude, love, and appreciation for the woman that I was with. And remember this, at this point in time, it had been a couple years after my awakening, and I've already started deeper understanding of one-hour orgasm, cultivating sexual energy. And in that process of appreciation, we were making out and just putting our foreheads together with such deep passion and desire for her. I started to feel a chill up my spine and continued up to the nape of my neck and out the crown of my head, and it didn't stop. And so I became more aware of this feeling and this sensation around, through, and up my body until eventually the majority of the feeling that I had was the point of my forehead against hers and all the energy above us. 
and I was seeing lights, colors, and we were making love in the ethereal realm. The amazing thing after it wasn't that I just experienced it. We didn't really say anything because we were just making out and connecting and moving energy deeply between us. Is the conversation afterwards where we were able to have full dialogue about everything that we experienced, but none of it was in the body. Mm-hmm. So that's where I really understood that the etheric or the astral plane is real. Kind of people talk about the dream world, all these other states of being. We often will use drugs, EMT, mushroom. Like you can access these different states of being, but you can internally alchemize and create these states of being consciously. Often through breath work is another way you can do it naturally, and definitely through sex, intimacy, and intentionality in connection because of the polarity of the masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. I love that. I, I I agree. You know, my spiritual journey is more fresh than yours, <laughs> but I find that there's certain vibrations and just like connections when you're in intimate moments that can feel like you're tapping into that like kind of divine higher energy and it just feels divine (laughs) yeah it's it's an eternal space you Mm -hmm. know space and time kind of melt away and you access this plane of existence that is unlike anything that we're used to here because it feels much more like a wave Mm -hmm. that there's flows and it's like waves upon waves you know folding in and on itself like a flower blooming that's infinite It's always, there's a new bloom to it. The petals are different. Every motion, it's different. And we're not used to that here. We're used to, you know, moment by moment, a checklist, a series of different things. But underneath it all is this constant wave of change that we're riding. Beautiful. Do you find that it's been really healing for you? Which part? (laughs) Well, all of it. Just the healing. Um just kind of that mindset, you know, moving into this more spiritual awakening, I guess. Has it healed you? And Yeah, well, or? I would say I wouldn't see myself necessarily as damaged. You know, I, I was very conscious very early in life as I became more conscious and have gone through mastering alchemy and understanding my deeper emotions and being more self-aware. I see everything as a progression of my soul spirit. Some things might be hard and painful. Mm-hmm. Like I've definitely suffered some of the greatest heartbreaks. I've lived my favorite romance, my worst tragedies that, you know, I can't even look at films and feel what I've felt within my own life. That's absolutely devastating. But I also understand a lot of what I've experienced was to shape me and my ability to give back, heal and love others deeper through their pain. Because there's not a lot of people out there that have consciously gone into the spaces that I have, have gone from being very high frequency, very high in the light to going deep into the dark to be able to create a pathway for those who are down deep in the dark and heartbreak in sex in lust and all these other things to be able to actually ascend out. A lot of people just say, oh, I'm in the light. I'm going to stay away from it. And which is a very smart thing, by the way, if, if you're listening, it's a very smart thing. Stay away. It's not for the faint of heart. So I've had my tragedies, but I've also had you know, absolute beauty and bliss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what would you tell people or, or how do you educate people about tapping into this? Yeah, well, one is reach out to somebody who's actually experienced it. So I've worked with couples for years individually or individuals or couples in that. And you can just reach out to me and Matthias Omatola, reach out uh, directly, DM me, and we can figure out a way to work together. But there's a number of different books. Like I wrote the five most important things you don't learn in school. Right? That was a book specifically to help you understand relating. A lot of times people jump into sex when they're not really good at connection. Mm-hmm. Right? So When you're not good at connection, you're led by your passion and your pleasure, right? And often that's what people are looking for. They're not necessarily looking for connection, but connection becomes a byproduct. But after you have enough sex, you're like, well, I want something more. I want something better. I was like, all right, sex is cool. But after a while, it feels like advanced masturbation. It's just Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, people become more of a tool of pleasure than anything more meaningful. So over time, people who have a lot of sex then look for something either more extreme in the sexual 
or then they look for something more, deeper. which is deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say starting that journey is first understanding connection. Can you move energy? Can you observe yourself and your intentions in everything that you do and have it feel better? Can you be more present when you eat? So this is starting off with the more tantric living, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just jumping into that point of sex, it's kind of like just jumping right to the genitals. Where's the foreplay? You know, I look at life and my connection with partners and partnership as forever play, not foreplay, forever play. There's a constant dance from the text messages that you send to the conversations that you have, to the food that you eat, to the thoughts that you have about each other. Are they all creating a energetic field that feels absolutely beautiful for them to be nestled in and for you to be nestled in? So are you creating that bubble? That's a beautiful or that link and that connection to them. So I would say becoming more conscious is going to help you be a better lover because then you can be more intentional with what you're bringing to your lover. If you wanted to bring more passion, you want to bring more presence, you want to penetrate them deeply. You need to know, are they being resistant? How can I create relaxation in their body? Do I know what their body feels like, where they're holding tension? So I would start with all the non-sexual things. Because when you get to that point, you can unlock sexual superpowers. That's what I, what I say. So some people have been accused of doing black magic. On, on people. I'm like, it's not black magic. There's, it's definitely energetic. And there's a deeper under, understanding of being able to penetrate someone with your presence, mm-hmm. to be able to penetrate them with their intention. And if they're in an open, receptive place, they can feel that. You know, when you walk into a room where everyone's about to get fired, right? And it's really depressing. Or you walk into a funeral, you can feel where the energy is. You can feel it low. You can, you can, you can feel that kind of dread. But if you walk into a room where everybody's excited because it's a surprise party, mm-hmm. you can feel the intensity of energy. You can focus your energy and your intention on a person and they can feel that. Right. So as you build connections with your lover, you can, in time, be able to talk them to orgasm, make every part of their body orgasmic or look them to orgasm. Or trigger them to orgasm with certain thoughts that to me, if you can do that with your partner, then everything else becomes amplified because you're now working with subtle energies instead of direct force pounded out, which sometimes you might need to, right? It's fine. You have that whole range, but often we don't have those subtle ranges established, at least of the masculine. We're not, we're not shown a lot of that. We don't study that a lot to be able to understand those small undercurrents that we can shift that create deep wells of pleasure. Mm -hmm. So I would say, start with all the non-sexual things, learn massage, As far as being able to speak in an erotic way to turn on your partner, just to be able to relax them, do all those other things. And then you can find out the simplest, gentlest, lightest rhythmic touch and send them into deep ecstasy. I love that. Well said. (laughs) I'm a firm believer of massage and and all of that non-sexual stuff, too. It, It is. It's another form of foreplay. And edging, you know, building up to that peak and, and learning your partner's body and their energy, which is kind of all you've been talking about. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. But let's talk about BDSM, transformational BDSM. BDSM. Yeah, definitely. Where what, do you want to go? Well, what does that mean? <clears throat> How do you define transformational BDSM? Yeah, so BDSM, as far as for those people who don't know, you you know, um, bondage discipline submission sadomasochism or submission masculine there's a lot of different ways you acronym it but overall that whole collection of kink is something that a lot of people use for fantasy play right just to be able to play out certain power dynamics is often a big one which is you know the dominance and submission the dns of bdsm right the dominant submission Game is something that is really big for a lot of people. That's just looking at power dynamics. If you take that and you go into the energy underneath that, as above, so below, it is a hermetic principle of alchemy, 
right? So being able to understand how energy moves and the role of energy within the way people play in that space, you're able to unlock different experiences. It could be healing traumatic experiences. It could be liberating the spirit a little bit more. So for me and for the people I really respect in the space of BDSM and, and doms and subs, dom, domination and submission isn't what a lot of people think. Submission is all about freedom and dominance is all about restraint. And it seems so far from the truth. It seems like, oh yeah, I want to be a dom so I can do whatever I want and they have to do what I say. And as a submission is submissive, it's like, oh, I can't do anything. I have no control where it's absolutely the opposite mm -hmm. in, in the least transformational BDSM in the way that I use it with my partners. It's a way for them to experience greater freedom through giving up control. Right? So when you're, Laying on the ocean, do you feel like you're being controlled or do you feel like you're free? Mm. Right? So you're laying on the ocean, but the ocean's carrying you. If the tide changes in the slightest way, it's going to move you completely. And you could struggle and you could do everything else, but the ocean's so powerful and you're held so completely by it that you're at its whim. So you just float. Right? So you allow that sense of freedom that you don't have to think about anything. You're just on that beautiful pool of water. For the dominant, it is extremely attentive um, that you need to be. You need to be extremely attentive. You need to be extremely present because you are now given ultimate control in these situations. So when you have ultimate control, what will you actually do with it? And somebody that I study that I really respect and uh, is kind of, I would say, the father of conscious transformational BDSM is William Moulton Marston uh, and his wife, Elizabeth, and Olive Brine. I love telling this story. Do you know, this? Do you know them? No, please. Yeah, you probably do. Okay. Probably like their work. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth um, and William, uh, William wrote the book, Emotions of Normal People, right? And uh, one of the opening lines in there, it goes something like, you know, in order for people to lie, they have to move out of their normal state. Right. There, there's a physiological change in the body when they're not authentic. It's something that actually happens to our body and change. And because of that, and because it's measurable, him and his wife actually invented the lie detector test. So he's the inventor and they're the inventor of the lie detector test. That's a small part of the story. So Elizabeth and William Walter Marston, he actually, they're married, both have PhDs and law degrees, Harvard. And Olive Brine is the third. They together co-created Wonder Woman. So the image of the most powerful woman that we know in fantasy, um, you know, nerds, Captain Marvel and all the rest. I still say Wonder Woman's the best. So don't, 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 you know, jump on me about that. But Wonder Woman um, and in her heritage and legacy, Wonder Woman had the lasso of truth. The, tr the lie detector. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman was also a combination of Olive and Elizabeth. They all lived together. They were Polly. They all lived together. And he had children with both of them. He died and they lived, the women still lived together for another 50 so odd years. And the story just came out because they kept it really private. But this was like in the 30s. So they were on some very advanced things. And he came up with um, disc theory, which now for me, I would say a lot of it is transformational BDSM. So in that world of the dominant being restraining, you know, being able to restrain all that power, now you get to actually focus that. So it's kind of like if someone's floating in a pool and you have them on a tether, you can take them everywhere. Do you have to like yank them and pull them? No, you can gently lead them. You can increase the intensity of that pool where they can feel a stronger current against them. Or you can just gank them, you know. So there's a lot that you can do in that space, but ultimately it's at your leisure. And I would say in the transformational space for me, I look for how can I help liberate this person to the moment or to something greater within themselves so they can experience more of what I experience is the beauty of 
the connectivity and freedom of mind that I'm not necessarily attached to every outcome. I can see things outside of myself. I'm not caught up in my story as much. And I can feel more than what I used to when I didn't have the awareness. So I try and open people up to those experiences. If there's something to be healed, if there's something intentionally they want to work on, cool, we'll work on just that. If there's something that I'm reading within the body, we can go into that. And the beautiful thing about it is the submissive has all the power. They're a safe word away from ending everything. Where a lot of times we might feel that there's, you know, back and forth, or I have to be in these conversations and things like that. But you're really on a journey together. So the other thing that William talked about a lot was dominance is we're looking to be dominated or we're looking not necessarily to be dominated, but to submit to a loving authority. And the issue that I find in society is we often have to submit to authority, be it the police, teachers, preachers, whoever they are, parents, submit, submit ourselves to authority. But how often do we really feel that it's a loving authority? Right. Even in partnership, oh, I'm submitting to my partner, but does it feel like it's coming from love or does it feel like it's codependent or does it feel like, oh, I'm just trying something? So our ability to submit is often to the degree that we actually feel love. But we have a hard time understanding love because a lot of us are trauma bonded or just the traumas that we have experienced. So helping people understand more the love that they are, the frequency of love, even independent of anybody else, the more they're aligned to that, the more you. I would say you can become a better dom as well as a better submissive. So when you work with individuals, mm. is there like a, a process? Like how, how do you understand all of this about them? There must be some sort of, lots of conversations. Absolutely. It's just conversations as well as practices. Mm -hmm. So it's being able to understand, are you capable of certain things at any different moment? Can you change your style of being at will? Right. Or are you so ingrained with the identity that you've given yourself that any change now throws you off and triggers you into a state of uncomfortableness to mm -hmm. a, a point where you're losing yourself? Do you have your own value system that you're aware of so you can actually maintain integrity in situations as you move through life? A lot of these times we kind of have them, but we don't really have a conscious awareness of them. So by helping people connect stronger to their own personal identity, right, to know thyself is one of the most powerful things you can do. So helping course, people yeah. know themselves and trust their knowing of themselves as they build that relationship, then everything else becomes more possible. But the biggest journey is that in which of remembering who you are. So I usually take them there first in a lot of fun, different, playful ways. And as they get to know themselves, then their authentic desires come. Because before that, a lot of our desires are manufactured, right? The desire that we want for that car, that house, the, you know, some of that stuff might be aesthetics. We like it. But a lot of it might be driven by advertisement, the idea that with it comes something else. It's not the thing that I'm looking for. There, there's something underneath it. It gives me status. It gives me, you know, I make my friends jealous. Like mm -hmm. it gives you these other things that you might not consciously be aware of, but that might not be a true actual desire for you. And for me, very few people understand their true desires because desires, when they're fulfilled, it creates such a deep relaxation and a sense of gratitude within the body versus an emptiness that comes from a lot of material gains where so many people will pursue certain material gains, get it, and not really feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. Because it's not a real desire. It's just a thing. It's just, just something that doesn't really matter to you, but you thought it would because of all these other reasons. But when your true desires are fulfilled, when you know a man pursues a woman and she says yes to you, there's a relaxation and excitement and fulfillment that you found your partner in, in that pursuit that is very different than a lot of other things. And that is, to me, you know, true desire versus manufactured desires. Like, oh, I just want this person, that person. Well, that's just lust. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily feel ultimately fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good comparison to make. I, I recently um, did a few workshops at a couple's retreat 
And one of them was kind of finding that erotic authenticity or those unique, intimate desires that we all have. And I guided them through this meditation. And afterwards, a lot of them were like, oh my God, like I had no idea. And it was, that's a great way to describe it as like this calming, like kind of wave over you that it's like, oh, okay. I didn't know that I had these desires, but when you brought me to that awareness and that, that's vulnerable space, I was able to like feel it and, and imagine it truly. Yeah. And so that's really, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. I said that. Um, as far as your, your kind of master of <laughs> tricks or BDSM, what, what, what would you say you specialize in specifically, or do you claim yourself as a dominant only or no, to have you switch? You know, I, I consider myself, I, I focus on cosmic, you know, cosmic sexuality. And for me in the cosmic space, there are certain roles, but I study the whole range. So yeah, I can switch. And for me as a dominant, a lot of people look at dominating other people, right? Me, the ability to dominate yourself, your mind and your way of being is the most powerful thing you can do. Right. How often can you change your habits, change your minds and, and, and your behaviors? A lot of people are waiting for New Year. You know, it's a new time of year. Oh, now it's time to do it. If I find something that I really want to integrate, I'll integrate it now. This will be what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I will just step into it fully. So as a dominant, I can command myself to go into a submissive state, to let go, to let go of control, to let go of all those other things. Right. So when you don't have the ability to do that, are you really dominant or are you just resisting? Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, yeah, I, my mind, I can command myself to go into any state. So that gives me the ability to experience a greater range, to have a greater understanding. If I'm only looking at it from one perspective, I'm missing a lot. Mm -hmm. So I find that being able to take a submissive role or a dominant role allows me to be able to change the perspective because I feel really good doms will know what submission feels like and what it feels like when someone's not doing it right. Do you really feel held, you know, in, in dance, if you're teaching someone to dance, you might be the lead, right? But if you don't know how to follow, right. Or you don't even know what it's like to follow, it's going to be awkward. And if you're ever, you know, taking a dance with somebody, yeah, you might be learning the steps, but the teacher will probably have you in the, the role of the follow at some point, not going to stay there necessarily, but you can know what that feels like when a good lead is leading you. Well, that's the same in BDSM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have certain kinks that you'd be willing to share? Or are you mostly so just like, I have so many kinks. Like <laughs> I know that's what I I'm saying. Like are what? you mostly everything? <laughs> mostly <laughs> like everything. You just like to explore it all, which is, I, I can relate to that. I think that there's that range that you're talking about is so special mm-hmm. and, and, you know, having, we all love new stuff and taboo and experience and trying something different. So I definitely think it's fun to explore um, but if there's anything you'd be willing to share, things that you love Definitely. to do or people know, me. <laughs> well, people know me as far as in the kink world, I love tease and denial. Mm. Like when it comes to, when it comes to the world of kink, building up sexual energy till it's painful, mm-hmm. painfully intolerable. Uh, is great. I've I've had partners cry. They wanted it so bad. <laughs> I break nice. down and have an emotional, um, and it was. But it was like, oh wow, it was actually emotionally. I and I now I need to go into aftercare. Like I've done too much. <laughs> Did I break my sub? Oh no. Um, so yeah. So for me, playing with that sexual energy and building up that intensity, where then everything becomes super arousing. Then it's mm-hmm. like you can you can play from there. But that to me, that's the foundation. If you're not that level of aroused. Sure, you might have a fetish that, you know, you can enact and then all of a sudden you build that level of arousal. But for me, I like to make it painful. I like just tears of pleasure weeping out of my partner Mm -hmm. um, and then still deny them. Do you like the begging then? Like you want to. I like I like the body begging. It doesn't it doesn't have to be vocalized. Mm -hmm. Um, More whimpering. Yeah. Yeah. It's more whimpering. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like the whimpering, the quaking, 
you know, an orgasm denial, just keeping them on edge for hours is just a pleasure of mine, just to soak it up. I, I soak up in the suffering. So it's like, I'm a pleasure sadist, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like, like it's that, pleasurable, yeah. but then it's painful now. And now I'm getting off on your pain of <laughs> like, it's so pleasurable, but you can't get there. Anyway, that's, that's my twisted, uh, twisted I, desire. I like it. Yeah. Do, do you find that with your partners and lovers that the, that build creates a more intense orgasm oh, and a absolutely. longer orgasm. Absol- yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, uh, tease and denial is something that I use to build a lot of the energy, mm-hmm. but even beyond the, the tease and denial, just even staying with that, I've denied till orgasm and not even through touching just by not giving it. They're mm-hmm. already there. Just now you can verbally say it or give a command because there's so much uh, energy that's really built up. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing about it. I, I just love it. Now I'm getting kind of lost. I'm like, Ooh, and I, don't, I don't want to go torment some people. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and vice versa too. So I, I like it as well. I like, nice. like my partner to be able to take the time with me mm-hmm. to build that up, to talk fantasy, to move that energy and going back and forth with my partner's, in that space, it creates a connection because they're seeing how I'm reacting. I'm encouraging more fantasy out of them. Their fantasy turns me on submitting to their fantasy or them submitting to my fantasy and just going with it allows more greater self-expression. So I feel that in that space, it's very safe when it comes to like fantasy, dirty talk and tease and denial where it can feel more rich than just about any anything else. You know, mm-hmm. impact play and all that. I usually am investigatory. I take an investigative approach with uh, my partners to find out. But I find out once you're really that aroused, everything's a turn on. Mm-hmm. So it's really, you know, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. <laughs> you know, it's not what you did, but how you did it. Uh-huh. That really makes a difference. That's so I, I really true. like playing with that. Nice. Do you, you have a partner now? Yes, I have a couple partners in the the play space. Yeah. Do you consider yourself polyamorous? I am definitely polyamorous and I'm also definitely monogamous. (laughs) It's like, so there's, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up in the world of poly. I consider a lot of people practicing polyfuckery, right? Not polyamory. Because in order to be polyamorous, you first have to be capable of love. And a lot of people are not operating at a frequency of love that allows them now to expand this net of love to encompass, you know, encompass multiple people. So it's a term often used to have a lot of mediocre relationships for a lot of people. It's a term to avoid responsibility and deeper connection. When things get uncomfortable, they just go away. Or In the monogamous situation, a lot of times people look at monogamy as a default, right? This is, at least in Western society, this is the default, is monogamy. But in order to be met in monogamy, for me, my partner has to be at a spiritual level and capable of meeting me in the eternal, in those divine spaces. And I can work with them, you know, most people to be able to raise them to certain places. But then it kind of changes the power dynamic, you know, a little bit, at least for a while to be able to get to that space where you're truly met and you can relax in your role of partnership and move into an ascending energy. You're constantly having to work with the person to build them to a place where to be able to meet you, to understand energy, intimacy, communication at a level and be aligned with love to love that deeply and be that vulnerable and be that open to meet you in a partnership that now you don't have to look elsewhere. You don't not necessarily have to, or even want to, you're just so engulfed in each other that that energy is something that you're constantly feeding back and forth. A lot of people aren't calibrated for that. So for me, monogamy is a powerful tool for ascension. Poly is a powerful tool for learning things in a very diverse way. So you want to grow laterally. It's kind of like a root system. It's like, okay, when I get a new partner, they have new ways of processing information and new triggers, new challenges. You learn new ways of being, right? A whole different perspective that if you were just with that one partner, the one partner might be like, I'm not really into that. The other partner might be like, oh, I love that. 
that's super exciting to me. So now the whole new world of exploration and information becomes open where the, that door is completely closed in one area. Right. But if you really connect in the intimate space, now you can keep going deeper. And for me, every time I connect with my partner, I'm wanting to go deeper. It, and it has been because of the understanding and the connections that we build every time it gets better. So where people are like, oh, the spark is gone. Things are dying out. I'm like, if I've been with you for 10 years, it's going to be fucking magic. <laughs> if, like uh, three months was great. Six months is better. A year is better. Two years out is better. Three years because we're learning each other better. And our intention is to go deeper and to connect more and to bring more pleasure, excitement, beauty and joy into each other's lives. So definitely capable of both. I would say I'm more open energetically in the poly space because the monogamous energy is just not something that I'm often met with. And very few people are practicing it. Mm, I, yeah, I, I say like monogamy is serial monogamy is akin to polyfuckery to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So people are not already harnessing, holding and collecting their energy for their one partner to really pour in, to create a container, be it for family and for all the other divine cosmic or eternal purposes. It's kind of what is exciting them at the moment. So when you find people, and I would say this is the majority of people in the dating scene now because there's so many apps and so many options. It's like, well, let me just take a look. You know, I'm just going to take a look. It's really hard to um, focus, right? It's really hard to focus. Now, some people do it from a religious standpoint and things like that. And, and I, I feel it still holds value for those who can, can take that route or they're aligned with that. But I find very few people actually consciously going into monogamy they might be talking to three or four people they might engage with you you know you start developing something sexual and then they'll start something with somebody else not really tell you anyway and kind of see how it still goes and then you find out later oh yeah well there's somebody else that i'm seeing well i well yeah i didn't really talk to you about it because i don't like sharing because i'm more monogamous and it's like oh okay but you're just a month ago, you're sleeping with me. We didn't talk for a little bit. And now you're sleeping with somebody else, but you didn't communicate that. That's where I'm like, most of you all are just, you know, most of you are poly. But yeah. that's it. Most of you are. You're just not comfortable with all the complexities of communicating honestly. Mm -hmm. Right. Really embracing that and dealing with the emotional challenges that come up with it. And that's what I think a lot of it is, is people just are avoiding those hard conversations. Right. And. If you are monogamous, then I would say really look at it deeply and really change your sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. Because if you're looking to build that depth, then just hold it. It's going to be hard, but that's what creates the additional value. And your partner is going to feel that as well. Don't start moving sexual energy outside of your relationship. This is all monogamous stuff, folks. So if you're probably like, oh, I thought he was more open. Listen, I'm just telling you from a cosmic standpoint and for monogamy and to, to make it as powerful as possible. Um, you don't want to be soliciting sexual energy to other people that aren't your, your partner, meaning sexual explicit images, um, dating apps, um, any other sexual energy that's being poured, uh, poured out to somebody else, be it commercially, be it recreationally. You want to harness that and create just the strongest channel with you and your partner and focus all of that energy into each other. Have your partner be every wild, passionate version of eternity that you can ask for. But maybe you don't want that. Maybe you just want them to be four things, but they love those four. It doesn't matter. The idea is that you're not posting pictures. You're not communicating with other people in a sexual way, you're reserving that and channeling it and transforming it and transmuting it back into something for you and your partner. Mm -hmm. Because it, it really changes the energetic dynamic of a relationship when you are moving sexual energy elsewhere. A lot of people don't understand how sexual energy sits on you. I think women do a lot better than men. You know, mm -hmm. it's, you know, if you go into a club as an attractive woman, as I'm sure you do, you go into a club, you start getting energy. You can feel it. You know, often it's like, oh, I just get icky energy. Like, oh, everybody's lecherously looking at you and desiring you. Some people might like it and be like, oh, yeah, that's great. But that's also felt right. That's also felt. And if you're 
putting that out there intentionally is different if your man's on your arm, your partner's on your arm, and it's like something that's like, oh, cool. That energy is now being transmuted into my partner and how great of a person he is to be next to me. And that's what I'm doing it when I'm there. When I'm not, I'm holding that energy so I don't have that on him. So when I come home, I'm in a space where I don't have all that energy on me. And now I'm thinking about that weird person. That was like, there's so many little energetics that are on it or the likes and the DMs like, oh, okay, that's a sexy picture. Oh, that's hot. Like you getting that all the time, that's still occupying your mind. Right. So to keep your mind as purely focused, that's mono. That's the single focus of sexual energy. That's mono. Like a lot of people look at it it's like, oh, I'm monogamous. It's like, no, you're not. Your sexual energy is not a singular divine focus with your partner that's channeling to a higher cause. It's not. It's going to a lot of different places that are just arousing to you. So I would say if you're going to do monogamy, like go for it. Yeah, like go for it. Like monogamy is extremely beautiful, extremely powerful, but like seriously go for it. And um, it's challenging in the world of attention and Instagram and as, as there's so many beautiful women in the world. It's like mm-hmm. the, and and women love attention. So it's like this is this is the big thing. So and guys love variety. So that's a big thing. So <laughs> we're like perfect compliments. You guys can look so many different ways, but that's where you you can do that with your partner. And in the, in the world of poly, really work on relating first, mm-hmm. like really work on your ability to be loving, to have deep conscious communication, to be patient, like develop your ability to be really good at relating. If you're not really good at relating, having multiple relationships is absolute chaos. <laughs> I would say I am very, very good at communicating. I'm very patient. And it's still overwhelming. Any any one person is it's a multiplier. It's not a multiplier. It's like the square root. right? It's like it's squared. And then you bring in a third and it's like, you know, multiplied. It's brought to the power of three and any other partner is just brought to that much of a power. And so for those of you who math, I don't math, but for those of you who math. Mm It gets a lot to manage because you have to manage those connections. Mm-hmm. And exhausting. Yeah. Oh, it's so much. It's so much. And if you're not aligned with love or one of your partners isn't aligned with love, that's going to affect the whole connection of everything because you're communicating or you're spending time with one partner, but one partner feels off about it and they don't really have a good relationship. And they're going to feel that sexual energy on you. One, because you're going to feel that you always do. Mm -hmm. You feel that sexual energy or you feel that pool of attention somewhere else. And it can't really be shared. Now, there's beautiful situations where sometimes it can be shared. Maybe you'll share a story afterwards. Maybe you're sharing videos. Maybe they're open and they're, they're fun for it. It's the times when it's not. Yeah. Right? It's the times when it's not. Do you know how to manage that? Can you comfort the people through that? Can you find a balance with, oh, so much. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so much. It, it, it is. Um, but when it works, it's absolutely beautiful. Right, it's but magic. when it's not, it's absolute hell. So it's like heaven or hell. With anything, really. <laughs> absolutely. That yeah. was really well described and said. I'm so glad I, I asked you about it because I've never thought about polyamory and monogamy in that way. And yeah. so that was, I loved that. And I think it'll help a lot of people. Yeah, they're tools for either one are tools to be able to reach higher states of being. Mm -hmm. You're just going to find different challenges. Mm -hmm. And if you approach them consciously, they both can bring you there. And I, I encourage people to do whatever they're doing in the most loving, conscious and and deliberate way, but go really go through it. Cause a lot of times people would be like, I tried poly. It's not for me. And then you ask them like, how good was your communication? Were you really vulnerable? Did you set boundaries and expectations? It's just no, 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 no. It's like, okay, so you didn't really do that. You didn't, you didn't do any of that. It's like, oh, I tried playing the guitar. I don't like it. And it's like, well, okay. Did you know the notes? Did you learn? Did you practice? So yeah, of course you're not good. Um, I don't like dancing. Well, did you move? <laughs> like, so there's so many things that like you didn't put in the work. So you're going to have that. And the same thing with monogamy. It's like, oh, I want monogamy. A lot of times when people say I want monogamy is what they're saying is I want security. Mm-hmm. Right. I want security. I want consistency. I'm afraid of what happens when I'm in a competitive situation. I don't want any attention going anywhere else. And I feel less than if that happens and I get angry. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. Because often it's not like uh, how many people right now are attracted to someone in a relationship? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like every celebrity. Right. Everybody. It's like, yeah, there's so many people that are attracted and like given the opportunity. It's like so you honestly don't really care if they're sleeping with somebody else. Like how many guys are watching porn wishing they were with the woman that was just with several other people? It's like you honestly really don't care. But what happens is you feel emotionally vulnerable when you're open, right? right? With that person being open. Because there's, once again, a lot of times people are meeting people who are already sleeping with other people or have in the last recent. The idea is if it's continual, uh, I'm going to feel bad, you know, and I don't know how to manage those emotions. And I don't want to, I don't want to have to manage those emotions. So I want you to stop doing what you're doing. That's often where it comes from instead of, that's a genuine expression of you and your relationships absolutely matter. Um, and you have healthy sexual connection and that energy works with me. It's just, no, I don't, I don't like it. It feels icky. And it, people are extremely competitive. So I get it. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of fear too, you know, we're just not working fear together. Disconnection. Yeah. And, and it's disconnection and we don't really work together because I, I think now it's hard. It's harder, even though I feel now, should be a time where poly should be like very normalized and very healthy. I think it's very hard because we are in a very individualistic society, Mm. right? So the idea of any type of dependency on somebody else or not me, not having all the attention, all the likes, like we judge people based on how much attention they have and all that versus how do, how do they make us feel? Are they really there for us? You know, I just learned this story of Scar. You know Scar from The Lion King? Yeah, of course. Right? <laughs> so I just learned the story of uh, the lion Scar that he ruled for more time than any other lion that rules, you know, the pack and the, uh, the pride. And it's kind of interesting because lions on average, are, it's about three years that you're, you know, you, you wear the mantle of king of that area for any of the male lions. Scar led for 12 years, so four times the average, right? And this is nature. I love this because it's nature, it's mammals, and in a very competitive space. You know, the male lion, you know, fights off all the other lions. He's the king. He's doing all the mating. The thing that made Scar different is he allowed his brothers to mate with the females. So he did not have the competitiveness in that space four times as long. So if you think about an environment, so this is like polygon well, right? You think Mm -hmm. of of an environment where that sexual energy is not competitive and destroying each other, but is actually supportive of each other. And it helps and increases your chances of life or your quality of life by times four. That's pretty powerful. If you think of how much sexual energy goes into people pursuing it or people um, you know, working with the chaos of it versus what if that energy was actually channeled into community and co-creativity? Mm-hmm. You can take a look at every dating app, how much time is spent on dating apps and porn versus actual real life interaction of quality orgies or, or whatever it's going to be quality orgies, parties, or any of that stuff versus how much time is seeking that seeking external versus actually having that and sharing it consciously. So much energy. Yeah, we have no we have no concept of how much energy is wasted on that. A lot of times we're pursuing success. Why? In order to get a better mate, to be able to get, you know, more, more, more like we don't we don't really know those underpinnings. That's what it is. It's like it's so much attention on sex, but no one's really talking about it. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing this for success. Like Bullshit. You're doing it because what you get, what you call success is getting access to sex for men. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, cool. You, you now have access to sex. It's like, yeah. How do you make a man lazy? It's like, yeah, give him a bunch of sex that he doesn't have to work for and everything <laughs> else. It's like, yeah, it's like, all right. Yeah, that's why, you know, porn is an issue for a lot of people. It's like, oh, porn addiction. Why? Because like I win. <laughs> it's like I, I'm getting sexual <laughs> access. But when you have to work for it, you build, build stuff up and you have that. It creates a very different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why we're here. That's why we're yeah, here to absolutely. educate and inspire and help people tap into that energy. Um, while we finish up, um, I would love to know if you're comfortable sharing okay. 
that last time you had that sweet release, which is an orgasm. Oh, wow. <laughs> the interesting thing about me is I practice semen retention. Oh, okay. Right? So I will have non-ejaculatory orgasms. Okay, I love that. Right? So non-ejaculatory orgasms. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll go up to over 100 days without releasing. So um, it's hard to say in that one. I don't have, I don't mark it on a calendar. You <laughs> well, know, what about a non-ejaculatory the, orgasm? Yeah, in the last week. <laughs> I'll say that, in, in the last week. Yeah, it's the holiday season. Of course. I, I got some time off, so yeah, definitely within in the last week. Felt good. It, it gets better and better every time. I agree. I feel like my sex continues to get better and better. As it should. And. As you deserve. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so glad we got to talk about all of that. And I really, I really love your energy and presence. And you made me feel very, very relaxed today. Uh, yay. So then it worked. <laughs> then it worked. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I, I love being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Matthias. Thank you. <laughs>